Episode number 208, How to Build and Sustain a Thriving Volunteer Ministry with Christine Kresher. Part two. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Well, hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. We have a jam-packed show for you today as we're going to show you part two of Christine Kresher's talk on how to build and sustain a thriving volunteer ministry at your church. Plus, this week's show is brought to you by the brand new movie Overcomer, which hits theaters August 23rd. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to chat with the film's producer, one-third of the Kendrick Brothers team, Stephen Kendrick. We talked about how God uh, has answered some incredible prayers throughout this movie and some of their other films. We also talked about the cast of the movie and the theme of identity. So I'm going to show you my full exclusive interview with Stephen a little bit later in the show. But first, we're going to jump right into the second part of Christine Kresher's talk on volunteers from SALT 18. Right back in. Here we go. So let's talk about, so stage one of the makeover is your mindset, right? The four before. Stage two is to think about stop recruiting and start retaining. So what do I mean by that? When we think about recruiting, it's how do we get volunteers. Remember what I said to you a few minutes ago? If I gave you 20 rock star volunteers right now, would that really help you in the long haul? Probably not if your volunteer culture isn't irresistible. But if we focus on how do we keep volunteers, how do we retain volunteers, how do we shut the revolving door of volunteers coming in and going back out, coming in and going back out, just saying it exhausts me. Does it exhaust you? Yeah, because think about it. I've been in business my entire life, and the one thing that I know for sure it is, is that it's so much easier to keep an existing customer and so much more cost-effective than it is to have to just keep getting new customers. And the same principle ap applies with volunteer retention. If you do the work that it takes to keep the volunteers, to create an irresistible volunteer culture, your volunteers will stick, which means your job gets so much easier. Because not only are volunteers sticking, but when you have an irresistible volunteer cultures, leaders are emerging. And that means they're doing the recruiting. That means that your job is getting a whole lot easier. And so how? What's the strategy? So how do you create an irresistible volunteer culture? We must like the number four because there's actually we found through all the research that volunteers need four things. If you capture it, they just need four things. Now, they're not four easy things. I don't, want, I don't want you to, for one second, think that anything that I'm saying to you is going to happen overnight and it's going to be super simple, because it's not. You and I both know that anything worth doing is never easy. Anything that sticks is never easy. It takes time and intentionality, but the rewards are incredible. So the four things that every volunteer needs is significance, are significance, support, connection, and empowerment. 
I'm not kidding you. Four things. That's it. Significance, support, connection, and empowerment. So let's unpack all these four things. First thing is we need to celebrate their significance. Okay, so when we say significance, that's what we mean. We need to celebrate their significance. How do we do that? How do we celebrate the significant role that a volunteer plays? When it comes down to it, it starts with recruiting. It starts with when you recruit them to say, okay, so I've got this incredible opportunity. I'm expanding my team and I have this role and I think it would be perfect for you. And here's why. And here's what that would look like. And when we do that together, here's how it impacts the kingdom. These are the type of things that that partnership, these are the type of things that have happened, the stories, the life change that has taken place because of this specific ministry. And then what that means is that you need to be the keepers of stories, the collectors and the keepers of stories. And so whether that's because you have the opportunity to meet people and interact with them on a one-on-one basis and hear stories all the time, which probably doesn't happen because most of you are behind the scenes, right? Is that right? You're behind the scenes, so you don't really get to hear those stories very often? Okay, so I'm going to tell you what you do. You make sure that you connect to the person in your church or the people in your church who do get to hear the stories. And then you say, we have got to get better at sharing stories. I need to hear those stories. And when you hear a story, will you share it with me so that I can share it with my team? Do you guys do volunteer huddles? Raise your hand if you do huddles. Okay, so we have 30 minutes before um, every service. We huddle up our volunteers. And on the website, stoprecruiting.com, there's a sheet that says the nuts and bolts of a volunteer huddle. If you're looking to ramp up your volunteer huddle or start a volunteer, volunteer huddle, there's some great ideas in there that you can try to implement, but they should always be fun. And they should always, always include an inspirational true story. True is good, right? About a a life that was changed because of your ministry. A life that was changed because of the church. Help people connect the dots from what they're doing, which may seem so insignificant, Some of your volunteers may think, and some of you may actually underestimate your impact. I'm just pushing buttons, or I'm just just making a video, or I'm just so not true. Every detail matters. Every detail sends a message. Every detail creates an environment for it to be somebody's Sunday. Right? Right? And we have to help volunteers. We come to conferences like this and it's awesome and we get all fired up and so inspired and then we forget to give it away. We forget to remind our volunteers that they play a role in every baptism, in every life that's changed. But unless you're talking about it and unless you're intentional about doing that, we'll miss it. And they'll start to think, I'm just... I'm just a number. I'm just a warm body. And that's never, ever the case. And then the second thing is provide first-class support. And so um, I love our tech team at our church. When their volunteers show up on a Sunday morning, they are ready 
to engage them. They are ready to huddle with them. They do all of the work. Prior to coming in, they prep and they organize and their run sheets are so thorough and everything is there. So when volunteers show up, they truly can enjoy that time and, and connect and interact with the volunteers. We need to provide first-class support for our volunteers because it truly is the glue. So many times it's the deciding factor whether they stick it out or whether they go. And the next thing that we're going to talk about is even more powerful than that, but it starts with us being super organized. It starts with us not using our personality as an excuse to not value a volunteer. Because I think we can all fall into that trap at times, right? Oh, I'm just, you know, a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants person. Everybody will be good because, no. First-class support. Communicate early and often. Communicate last-minute changes. That's why huddles are so important because that's an opportunity to just say, okay, here's the last-minute tweak. We're flexible, right? Last-minute tweak, here it is so that they know what to expect, so they're, they're not caught off guard. I think this is huge because this also sets up the whole empowerment thing. If they know what to expect, they won't feel stupid. When people are confused or they feel stupid, they say no. And so provide first-class support. Fuel meaningful connections, this is my favorite. And this is kind of crazy because, um, bless you, because um, the research actually shows that volunteers come to you with an unwritten, unspoken social contract. Do you know what it is? They have one expectation. Well, they have more expectations, let's be real. But they have a very big expectation. And you don't even know. And it's an internal expectation. They come and volunteer because they want to make friends. Think about that for a second. How are we doing at making sure people are connected, that our volunteers don't feel alone on an island, that they feel like they are a part of a team? They're a part of something significant, but they're also a part of a team. And if you really, really, really want to know what really makes volunteers stick through your dysfunction, not that any of you are dysfunctional, just probably me, or disorganization, or even the ebbs and flows of ministry, right? We know there's like the honeymoon phase, and then there's the disillusionment phase, discouragement phase, and then there's the breakthrough. Thank God for the breakthrough. But sometimes when we're in that valley, and we're a little like just not at the top of our game, volunteers will stick if they have friends. And you can't connect every single person. You can't be the friend to every single one of our, your volunteers, but you know what you can do? You can identify the connectors on your team. Who are the people that really do value people on your team? Who are the people that really do like people? And then recruit them. Say, hey, when I bring in a new volunteer, I would love for you to be the person that I hand them off to. Warm hand off to you because you are a rock star. You are so good with people. And you are such a natural connector. And so would you be that person for me? Let me just tell you right now, people that really love people will like, oh, yes, are you kidding me? Of course. What took you so long to ask? And that person will do it for you. 
but not until you're intentional about identifying the person, being specific in what you're asking them to do, and then letting them do it. And then that goes to the next thing. We want to empower their passions. Empower their passions. Many volunteers are motivated by their drive for influence. It's not money, clearly, because they're volunteering and not getting paid, right? They're motivated by their drive for influence. Their drive, some people are maximizers and they just want to make things better. But they need to be empowered to do that. Because if you don't ask, they will assume you don't care, which means you don't value them, which means you don't want to make things better, which means you don't want to provide first-class support, and then it doesn't feel significant, and it's just this domino effect. And so, and this is so, so, so important. When you really want to attract high-capacity leaders, give them a voice. We've got to give everyone a voice, but there are certain people you know, you have some rock stars on your team, and maybe you're intimidated and insecure, and you're afraid to allow them to do something more because you're afraid that they'll outshine you. And I'm just saying that from personal experience because I have felt that over the years in ministry. This is my thing. This is what I'm known for. (gasps) Heart check time, right? Now it's like, okay, who can I give it away to? Who can I empower? Because we are called to equip the saints. That's our number one job. It's not to be the rock star. It's to equip the saints to empower people, to live out their passions. And in so many cases, it's to find their passions. How can we do that better? In the book, The Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, I've read that over and over and over and over again by Andy Stanley and um, Reggie Joyner. One of the things that they talk about in there is how you actually empower leaders. How do you replace yourself? And here's the thing somebody taught me years ago, because I always thought to myself, wait a second, if I replace myself, then I'm going to be replaced. And I remember somebody said, no, the most irreplaceable staff members are the ones that replace themselves. And it has been so incredibly true. When I was so holding on and this is my thing and my thing, God couldn't take me to where he wanted me to go. And it wasn't until I opened my hands and I said, all right, now I'm ready. I'm going to replace myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I have a written playbook called a playbook for everything that I have ever done in ministry. And that's just a thought. Maybe you do, maybe you have that. And basically it's just your written process that contains your win. It contains how you do things. What does it look like from start to finish? So that literally anybody could do it. Because you have the mindset of replacing yourself. You break it down, right? That's why you write it down. You break it down and then you hand it off. And you come alongside of somebody and you coach them. And you, you are willing for them to be better than you to make it even better. And you tell them that. You know what? You're going to do this because so many of your volunteers feel like, well, I could never do what you do. I could never do that. And they need us to say, oh, yeah, you can. And you know what? Here's the truth. You're going to do it better than me. And I am going to cheer you on the whole way. They're waiting for us to empower their passions. They're waiting for us. I have worked with and served with so many incredible volunteers that have great jobs, 
that make a lot of money. They have great jobs. They have so much going for them. And they have said to me, as a matter of fact, I just talked to somebody the other day, and she said, I like my job. I have a good job, really good job. But here's the thing. This is what I live for. Sunday is the best hour of my week. I can't wait until Sunday. This is what gives me purpose. This is what makes me come alive. There's that thing, right? It's not what we want from volunteers. It's what we want for them. We get to be, we get to be a part of helping people discover their passion and their purpose. And what's so important as part of this is when we empower people, we have to give them a framework. We have to give them a framework. We have to help them understand some things before we set them free and before we let it go. We have to help them to understand what what is the mission, what is the vision, what is our strategy, how do we do the things that we do, what are our values. See, because when we give people that framework, we can set them free because there is so much clarity, right? You said that at the beginning. Clarity is so, so important. And without clarity, there's no confidence. And in some cases, without clarity and without that framework, people will go rogue, right? You've all had those volunteers. Here, do this because we're busy, right? And we hand it off way too soon and we forget the coaching part. And then they go way off track and you're like, no, 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 wait, I didn't mean that. And, but it's our fault because we didn't give them the framework. And so um, the last thing for the volunteer question, is that my timer? I got six minutes. All right. That was, I asked you to set that timer and tell me when I have six minutes. So thank you for doing that. Um, So we have stage three in the makeover is the volunteer question. This is the big question that every volunteer is asking. And again, they may not be articulating it, but internally they're asking this question every week. And that question is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? This goes back to the significant thing. Is it really, really worth it? That's a painful question. When you step into the shoes of your volunteers and you ask that question, is it worth it? What do you think the answer is? Do you know? And are you willing to be real about the answer? Because it's okay if right now it's not. It doesn't feel so worth it. Maybe for yourself, you're thinking, this doesn't feel so worth it. Then it's, you're going to start asking the question, okay, all right. And we put our big boy pants on and we say, okay, so what do we have to do to make it worth it? What kind of fun do we have to bring back? Let's remember why we're doing what we're doing. Because that's the thing that sustains us. So is it worth it? So is it worth it? So here's a couple of thoughts to think about when it comes to this. Is it worth missing a date night with my spouse? Is it worth getting up so stinking early on my only day off? Is it miss, um, oh, I love this one. Is it worth being yelled at by another person telling me the music is still too loud? Is it worth it? Is it worth reading a bedtime story to my kiddo? 
Is it, miss wor- uh, is it worth missing a soccer game? Because volunteers make sacrifices. Their time is precious. And when we treat them like their time is precious, and we put the intentionality into really making it worth it, they answer the question with, like, exclaim, you know? Yes, it is worth it. And we've got to do everything that it takes for them to be able to say, yes, it is worth it. It is worth it. Because Luke last night talked about every week is somebody's Sunday. But every week is also a volunteer's Sunday. Right? And for some, it really is the thing that keeps them going. It's the thing, it's the thing that keeps them alive. And so what's it worth to you to have volunteers who are thriving, to have a ministry culture that is really not just surviving? God doesn't intend for any of us to just simply survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants our volunteers to be able to say, you know what? It's because of you. You helped me find my purpose. You helped me discover my passion. It's when the next generation looks back and says, you showed me. You showed me what creativity really looks like. When Sojo said that in that last session, I was like, yes, that's really what it's all about. Because here's the thing, guys. The next generation is flocking. They are leaving in droves. They're leaving the church in droves. Because they're looking for something. And we have the opportunity to help them find it. We have the opportunity to say, no, 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 no. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because it's worth it. We have the opportunity. So, so many times our mindset is, just need volunteers to just run, the, run it, right? Just make it happen. But when we begin to see volunteers not as a means to an end, but as the reason we do what we do, because we can't do it without them. It changes everything. Everything. And you will start to feel, you will start to experience something so incredible, an energy like never before. Because your volunteers will feel connected. They will feel like they are part of something significant. They'll feel supported. They'll feel like they really matter. They'll feel like their voice is really heard. They'll start to say things like, you know, I love serving on your team because when I serve on your team, it makes me a better person. It makes me a better follower of Jesus. We can teach people technical skills all day and night, but ultimately if we don't connect it to the mission of God, we miss it. We miss it. Don't miss it. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we love you so much, and God, we thank you that we get to serve you. We thank you that you called us to be of some, a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, to be a part of partnering with you to do incredible things, to point people to you, to point people to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, to the hope that only you can bring. 
And Lord, I just pray right now for every person who is in this room and every volunteer that they represent, Lord God, I pray for a fresh vision. God, I pray for an energy and a passion to just burn inside of them, Lord. I pray that they would be challenged to try some new things. I pray that they would be challenged more than anything to spend more time with you, just being before they ever do a single thing. I pray that you would infuse fun into our ministry environments because, God, we know that your joy is our strength. And Lord, I pray, God, for strength. I pray for passion. I pray for life in all of our ministry environments so that the next generation can see something different, something new, something so creative, something so beautiful because they see you in us. And we ask this in your strong and matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're looking for more free resources to help you with your volunteers, I want to encourage you to check out our blog and podcast libraries at 1230.media. If you go to 1230.media, you click on blog, and then on the category drop-down, you click on volunteer culture. Same is true for our podcast, uh, Making Sunday Happen podcast library. There's a category drop-down. Click on volunteer culture. On both of those libraries, the blog and the podcast, there are literally dozens of articles and episodes all about how to build and maintain your volunteer culture at your church. There are a lot of articles, PDFs, checklists, a bunch of free resources uh, for you there, uh, all about how to uh, recruit, invite, train uh, volunteers on your team. So check it out. Again, 1230.media forward slash blog, or you can go to makingsundayhappen.com. Uh, on the category drop-down, just choose Volunteer Culture, and you're good to go. All right, if you're looking for a great activity to do with your volunteer team, going to see a clean, fun movie is perfect. The new film Overcomer is a great movie to see and take your volunteers to. I saw an early draft of the film in February of this year, uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, uh, you you guys will want to see it. Um, take your volunteers to it. You can even uh, buy out a, a theater showing uh, for your whole team if you want to. So uh, I recently chatted with the film's producer, Stephen Kendrick, about their sixth film. This is number six for them. Um, and how it came to be after the success of War Room. Here's my full, unedited uh, interview with Stephen Kendrick. Check this out. Hey guys, after serving in church ministry for 20 years, Stephen Kendrick now writes, speaks, and produces Christian films with his brothers Alex and Shannon. Stephen produced the movies War Room, Courageous, Fireproof, Facing the Giants, and Flywheel. His new movie, Overcomer, comes out in just a couple of weeks. He's also co-written the New York Times bestselling books, The Love Dare, The Resolution for Men, and The Battle Plan for Prayer. Stephen, welcome to the 1230 Media Platform, man. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be talking to you, Carl. All right, let's uh, let's jump right into Overcomer. So earlier this year, I got to see a, an early draft of the film, and uh, man, you guys just keep getting better and better. It's it's like you you're you're fine wine. You you improve with a. I probably should, I probably shouldn't do the alcohol reference on a church podcast. <laughs> fine non-alcoholic Welch's grape juice. <laughs> there you go. All right. 
All right, so get me into Overcomer. You guys were coming out of War Room. Uh, how did the um, the process start to get into Overcomer? Sure. Uh, War Room, um, with every film, when the movie's done, we feel like we've had a gigantic baby, you know, and we just want to rest for a little bit and spend time with our wives and our kids. There's so much travel associated with the marketing and those kind of things. And so, so we spent, really, let's see, War Room came out in 2015, and so... Uh, it's been four years. We've been praying. We've been doing other ministry, traveling and speaking. But we we ask the Lord for the God idea. We tell people there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And we've learned over the years that when you really pray about something, amazing things can happen. Better ideas than you could ever come up with on your own. And so we were praying through next steps on the next film. My brother Alex was coaching cross country. He coached all six of his kids to state championships in cross country. And he starts getting these really cool ideas, you know, that could be parallels with the Christian life and those things. And this storyline about identity at the same time, my wife and I had gone through the process of adoption and we saw this total identity change with our daughter. And then uh, I was studying Ephesians one and two, which is a very confusing two chapters, unless you look at it through the lens of how our identity changes when we're in Christ. And so the light bulb goes on for us about identity uh, through this adoption process. And we realized the Lord had been preparing us to make a movie about identity in Christ because these are perfectly fitting together. So he's developing the skeleton nutshell. I'm working on the theological aspects of it. So uh, it's been exciting because every movie, we're growing a ton as we're studying God's word about a subject and to be able to also share it with the body of Christ as people who feel like we've discovered this treasure chest full of, you know, spiritual gold, you know, is yeah. so much fun. And so War Room, the whole journey of prayer and helping people learn how to pray effectively uh, was so exciting. There have been prayer training boot camps that have been going on across the nation and internationally since War Room came out. And so uh, it's it's fun to, to watch the church. We're big fans of the local church and it's fun to watch the, the local church grab onto a truth from God's word and it rocked their world forever. So, yeah. So tell me about some of the stories or, or how long the impact goes after you do a, a film. So, you know, fireproof, you did marriage and I'm sure you're still seeing some of the effects or some of the stories from your, some of your previous films. How, how long do those effects go? Well, forever, as long as that film lives, yeah. you know, the, yeah. obviously the clothes get more and more dated <laughs> and the cell phones that are in <laughs> yeah. Flywheel and, you know, the, yeah, yeah it, we shot Flywheel on 480p technology. So you're, the cell phone in your pocket is higher resolution than Flywheel. But yeah. um, I, it's interesting. Yesterday I'm seeing on Facebook people talking about, man, I just saw Flywheel for the first time. It's now my favorite. I can't believe it. This movie's amazing. It changed my life. And I'm like, man, that was 2003 when that came yeah. out. And, yeah. You know, you don't tend to be as excited about those older films because it's, right. you know, over a decade ago. But I'm grateful because God's word is timeless. And it is the scripture and the truths of God's word that we know is changing people's lives. And we pray over every film and dedicate them to the Lord that, that the Holy Spirit will use it as a tool so that regardless of what the topic of the movie is about, when people are watching it, he's speaking to them, you know? So facing the giants, we had people saying, man, you know, pornography is my giant, you know? And I went yeah. out after I saw this movie and I threw away all of my uh, porn magazines and videos, or whatever. And we're like, the movie doesn't even deal with porn, you know? Right, right. right. And so, but um, that's how the Lord works. 
and uh, and we're grateful for that. So I'll ask a lot of Christian music artists this, and it's kind of an odd question, but what what is your um, do you have some cringe worthy moments along the way that you're like, oh man, I I wish you wouldn't have watched Flywheel. I wish you would watch some of our our better work. Or do you have those like cringe worthy moments? Like, oh, I wish we would have shot sure. that better or done that better. Oh yeah. Well, every film you can look back and as you're learning, all the movies are a steep learning curve for us. And so we didn't go to film school. We'd never been on Hollywood sets, those things. And so it's been like learning by doing every step of the way. And so, but we can look back now and I think about facing the giants. Uh, we had these five professionals that we hired that came on set and they said, okay, where's your locations manager, your call sheets, your production schedule. We didn't know what any of that. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> we're like, uh, we don't have any of that. We, we're just, you know, we've got some homeschool kids that are available to help you during the week. <laughs> and that was like our response. It was like, we got some retired senior <laughs> men and some stay at home moms. These are the only people that are available. You know, everybody else is in school or, yeah. or whatever at work. And so, and I remember them kind of shocked because <laughs> they were used to this whole professional world environment. Yeah. And, but then over the summer, we're praying every day on set out of total necessity. God, <laughs> God enable these amateur Sunday school volunteers to act beyond their own ability in yeah. between action and cut, you know? Yeah. And so are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. And so anyway, just so grateful that the Lord took lo our loaves and fish. And so yeah. our journey has been one of not our impressiveness. It has been totally been that we're the donkey that gets to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. And we're just yeah. excited to be on the journey with yeah. him. You know? Yeah. But the reason I asked that is because, you know, obviously God takes our moments of weakness and whatever and right. does some incredible things. Um, do you have any stories of, I mean, obviously, I've talked to to Alex several times about like just some big miracles that you guys have seen through prayer. Can you give me a couple of those? Absolutely. Um, I would say every movie I could tell you a lot of them. Facing the Giants when we're praying and the the uh, we're trying to get this shot done. We're running out of daylight. This storm is coming. It comes up to the road next to where we're filming. I mean, you can see the, like the wall of rain coming at us. And we're praying because we got gear out there. We're trying to get this shot done. And it parts and goes around our field and keeps going. And we kept shooting. And it was just this, you know, in fireproof, we had a moment when we're on the train tracks and we're running out of daylight with that. And the, the wrecked car that we had gotten out of a junkyard is sitting on the tracks. And cars don't have handles for you to pick them up and move them. And even, even if they did, they're really, really hard for six guys or eight guys to move. And so we were needing a forklift and we didn't have one. We're in a different town. And this guy who lived right next to where we are walks out on his front porch and he says, y'all need a forklift. I got one in my backyard. And we're standing there looking at this guy and he, he walks around, drives his forklift around, picks up the car, moves it into place, drives it back behind his house again. And these professionals that are used to watching Hollywood throw money at any problem are just with their mouths open. They were like, what are the chances anybody owns a forklift? and has it in their backyard, and was, even is within 100 miles of where we are, and this is the closest house to the train tracks, only God would have done that, you know? Yeah. So, um, War Room, there were so many answers to prayer. Uh, we were filming the jump rope sequence at the end of War Room, and we had the crowd there. We decorated the, the gymnasium. We had three cameras. We're shooting, and then um, uh, uh, we didn't have the teams 
figured out. We'd never seen even one jump rope sequence. And, uh, and these teams show up that were some of the best in the nation that our jump rope coach had contacted. And we're yelling action, not even knowing what's going to happen here. Is this going to be a total disaster? <laughs> and they did some of the coolest jump rope techniques and, and things we'd ever seen. And, and we're getting to capture it on film. And it was like this, thank you, Jesus, for bailing yeah. us out moment. It happened on set while we were filming. So. manufacturing plant is closing its doors. Most of my players have parents that work at the plant. This ain't gonna be pretty. I'm down three coaches, but I do think I have a solution for cross country. No. All right, we just showed you a little bit of the trailer. Steven, you've moved uh, locations on us, and yeah. uh, I think it's you just wanted to show us the posters, and now you wanted to show us awards and different That's things. Right. So no. just the tour of your house here. <laughs> I needed to plug my laptop in. I didn't want this to end. So No problem, uh, man. All right, so you were telling us about uh, Overcomer and maybe yeah. some challenges that you guys face and some prayers that were answered in this movie. When we were on set, uh, actually, we, we were going into a city praying, God, would you lead us to the right locations? We kind of cold called this hospital and just went in, and I went up to the fourth floor, and I'm looking around, and I just want to see what the rooms look like because there's hospital scenes in, in Overcomer. And uh, this, uh, my aunt who lives in Columbus shows up, and I'm like, why is she here location scouting with us? She doesn't know anything about film. And then she's talking to me for a minute. And then she points out, she said, oh, Stephen, this guy who just walked out of the elevator is the pastor of the most praying church in Columbus, Georgia. And so she introduces him to me. And uh, it ends up being a divine appointment because he was like the key to us networking with like 80 churches in the community. Yeah, we ended up using his church as our production office. Uh, we ended up filming behind this church. There were all of these things that fell into place because of that chance meeting outside the elevator. Then wow. I find out after that meeting <clears throat> that my aunt had been home praying. <clears throat> excuse me. My aunt had been home praying, and the Lord had prompted her to go up to the hospital and be there when I was there. And, uh, and then he had been at Starbucks in the middle of a conversation, and he said, the Lord said to him, get up and go up to the hospital right now. And so he jumped up mid-conversation and said, I need to go to the hospital. Then he's walking up to the hospital, and he said he always starts on the first floor to visit his church members and works his way up. And he said it was like the Holy Spirit said, go to the fourth floor. And so he goes up to the fourth floor just following this prompting, and this meeting happens outside the elevator, both of them being led by the Lord to meet me there. And that was like the domino effect to all of these things falling into place for us to film in Columbus. Wow. Wow. So, so is that where the hospital uh, scenes were, were filmed from the movie? The hallway hospital scenes, the interior rooms were actually built on a soundstage. And so, okay. uh, but it was totally the Lord how all that worked out. Uh, we, we had one moment when I needed a, pla a pastor, a black pastor, to be uh, in a funeral scene that's in the movie. And um, I, I, I call this guy who's a local pastor the night before, never met him. And I said, would you be interested in coming and being this in this Christian film? And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, wear a suit, come tomorrow. I'll give you the script. You'll read it as part of this funeral service. So he shows up the next day. He's standing there, and it's really hot outside. And so I've got an umbrella I'm holding over him just to kind of cool him. And he says, can I tell you something? He said, I've been in ministry for 20 years. 
And he said, every Sunday I preach two services. This guy's a Methodist pastor, black pastor in Columbus, Georgia. He says, I preach two services every Sunday. And in between those two services, my son-in-law comes in and he'll just pray over me. He said he does it every week. He says about six weeks ago, in the middle of those two services, in between them, he's praying over me. And when he's done praying, he looks up at me and he says, you're about to be in a Christian film. And he was like, what? He says, you're about to be in a Christian film. And he thought, that's just crazy talk. You know, he's not an actor. He has no aspirations of being in Christian film, doesn't know about any of them going on. Yeah. And, uh, and he says, I just thought that was my son-in-law just trying to encourage me or whatever. Uh, but then I call him at home saying, we're <laughs> in Albany, or we're in Columbus. We're filming this Christian film. Will you come be it? He said, I'm standing out here. There's all these lights, these cameras. I'm about to be in a Christian film. <laughs> so nice. man, just... I can tell you more stories, yeah. like that, but just things where it's like, there's no explanation other than God was saying, I'm with you and I'm carrying yeah. you through this process. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, tell me about some of the, the actors. You got some really good uh, cast. Uh, I talked with Sherry uh, Rigby a couple of weeks ago. Um, and um, who was the, the blind? I've forgotten his, the actor's yeah. name. The blind uh, guy. Cameron Arnett is the actor. Yes. He played yeah. in the movie. He was Incredible. Fantastic. Incredible. Yeah. His um, performance, I mean, I'm like, this is like Academy Award winning kind of stuff. I mean, he yeah. is phenomenal in the movie. Yeah. And uh, we were, it was interesting. He, talking about identity, Overcomer is about identity in Christ. And he was in Hollywood doing Miami Vice, Star Trek Next Generation kind of stuff years ago. And then they started trying to move him towards doing really raunchy stuff. And he said, the Lord was like, nope, you know. I don't want you to go in that direction. You represent me. So he gave that up his Hollywood career and went oh. into ministry and was starting churches and was working in ministry. And then the Lord told him just a few years ago, get back into acting, but do it for me. Mm. So he's like, all right. So he said, I yeah. had no, he said, I was perfectly content. I was fine with not going back into acting, but now we're looking for someone to play this role of Thomas. Uh, and, because uh, he's really the heart of the movie in, in so many ways. And so yeah, our dad is in a hospital bed right now, and uh, but his identity in Christ is just, just the same, you know, regardless of what we're doing in this world job-wise or career-wise or if we're getting the applause of men, who we are in Christ, if Jesus is our Lord, is not affected by that. And yeah. so we're still just as loved and chosen and forgiven and adopted and accepted in his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So that that message from a hospital bed perspective is pretty powerful. Yeah. And so but anyway, uh, yeah. Cameron Arnett, I, I cry yeah. in, in his scenes in the movie because he's he's so good and they're so powerful. He did an amazing, amazing job. And the, the young girl uh, did incredible as well. Yeah. Um, just some just some great uh, acting and performances uh, in, in the movie. All right, all right, so as we wrap today, give give people kind of a without giving too much away, kind of a yeah. synopsis of of the movie and what they're going to see. Overcomer is uh, if you've seen any of our other films, War Room, Fireproof, Courageous, Facing the Giants. I think you'll love War, uh, Overcomer. It's our sixth film. It's a sports inspirational drama. It's about the least likely coach taking on the least likely runner and helping her to take on the biggest race of the year. And at the same time, we're discovering about identity in Christ. The coach is wrestling with his own identity because he loses his basketball team. He doesn't want to coach cross country. He's got to find his identity in Christ. You're following the girl who doesn't 
she's grown up with her grandmother. Your parents are dead. Uh, she doesn't know who she is. And like so many teenagers, really struggling with confusion about identity issues, you see her experience the gospel, come to Christ, and discover what that means to be in him. And then you got Thomas, who's in a hospital bed, who's blind uh, with diabetes, and he's dying. And uh, he realizes God's not done with him, and that God can still use him to be a blessing, and, he, and he's valuable to the kingdom, even though he's in this really tough position. So the end of this movie, the, this, the state championship cross-country race, I think is a very inspiring 20-minute experience for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think they're going to laugh, they're going to cry, they're going to enjoy it. It's family-friendly. Anybody can go yeah. see this film. But the message of the gospel is clear. And the message of identity in Christ is, uh, I believe, powerful. So. Yeah, you really build and build and build, and the climatic uh, climatic ending is uh, is really really good. Uh, it pays off well. Um, okay, so if I'm on a church staff, what are some resources that you have available, and what are the best ways for me to promote the film for you guys? Sure. If you go to OvercomerMovie.com, you can see the trailers. You can download trailers, promotional videos, anything connected to the film. On OvercomerMovie.com, you can type in your zip code and see where the theaters are that are going to be around you. This is the most theaters we've ever been. It's all across the U.S. It'll be in 20 countries around the world. August 23rd is the opening weekend in the U.S., uh, but you can actually—this is what I would do if I was a pastor or a church leader. They have worked it out for this film where you can actually sign up for a showtime, and you can take your group to see it as early as August 5th. And so that's like two weeks, you know, two and a half weeks before. And uh, you you can take your group to see it and say, hey, we're going to do something special. It's not coming out until August 23rd. We're going to take our whole church to go see this film. And then we have a uh, church campaign kit that LifeWay has put together that can help you put together a whole emphasis on using Overcomer to launch an outreach in your community or do a discipleship series. There's two curriculums that LifeWay has put out. One is uh, connected to five clips from the movie, so a pastor can use those clips in a sermon series about identity, uh, or you can let Sunday school groups or Bible study groups or small groups be able to use that. And then afterwards, there's a new curriculum called Defined, and it is uh, going deeper. It's diving into the book of Ephesians. It's eight weeks. It's video-based, so there's multiple people, and you see Cameron's testimony, Sherry's testimony. Kirk Cameron actually has a testimony in it. Uh, and we're teaching about Ephesians, breaking down who we are in Christ, Ephesians 1 and 2. And uh, it's it's a fun curriculum. It's it's challenging. I would do that one after people go see the movie because they're going to have a renewed interest in studying identity in Christ. And so that's, what, that's our heart. Uh, ministry is our heart. The Great Commission is our heart. The greatest reward for us with any of these films is watching lives be changed around the world by the gospel and the truths of his word. But we don't want people just to be moved emotionally in the theater and they're crying and they're cheering and then they walk out and they're not changed. You know, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we try to use the movies as a launching platform into studying what God's word says about a topic. So we did that with Fireproof and the Love Dare and Marriage and Courageous and the Resolution for Man and Battle Plan for Prayer with War Room. And then this one, the book defined and then those that defined curriculum. And they've actually set it up so that teenage girls, uh, teenage boys have a different modified version of it. Mm, All ages, LifeWay has put together resources where there's children's resources connected to identity, 
So if you go to overcomermovie.com, you can click on resources and you can see all that stuff. Yeah. And I would just say, if any of these bullets fit your gun to help you do ministry in your community and reach your community, absolutely uh, use them and help your, help your people discover who they are in Christ. So what uh, interview have you done where you've referenced alcohol and shooting in the same <laughs> interview? Right. I think just <laughs> this one. <laughs> so. Awesome, man. August 23rd is the big day. Um, it's, it sounds like you guys, uh, maybe I, I'm wrong, but it sounds like you guys were kind of ahead of the game on production and kind of being done with the film early and got to prepare a lot of resources. And uh, I mean, I know that you guys do that with, with all the, the films, but um, I mean, I saw it uh, what February maybe. Um, so, uh, so great Listen, job. I, if the version you saw didn't have all the final special effects, color correction, sound yeah. effects and music. So the new version yeah. is way better than what you saw. Yeah. So I got to see it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, obviously opening weekend is, is, uh, makes it huge. It's a, makes yeah. a big difference. So August 23rd, uh, is the day, uh, overcomermovie.com. Steven, thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate Honor, it. Carl, thank you so much for what you're doing. God bless you. You need to do your fighting in prayer. You've been a good enough father. I want to be a good enough father. Let's go, let's go! town's oldest manufacturing plant is closing its doors. Most of my players have parents that work at the plant. This ain't gonna be pretty. I'm down three coaches, but I do think I have a solution for cross country. No, I don't even like running. Don't die, don't die. Cross country's not even a real sport. Uh, why would anyone wanna do this? I'm just impressed that you finished. You are my best option. Y'all here for tryouts? No, sir, we're just hanging out. Hey, are you here for cross country? Yes, sir. I had one girl show up, and she's got asthma. Oh, you mean Hannah Scott. Do you enjoy running? It's really the only thing I'm good at. Why have a season with one runner? One runner matters. The only thing Thomas, you got time for a visit? Hello, coach. So you changed force, and you still got no team. Well, that's sad even for me. I get it. You have to coach cross country. But it's not the end of the world. For someone who knows the Lord, you're acting like somebody who doesn't. You give some very inspirational speeches to your players about stepping up under pressure and going the extra mile. Anna, getting faster. Your life is worth so much more than this. <laughs> when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. Something or someone will have first place in your heart. Where's your team? She's right there. What have you allowed to define you? show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. Last week, we started our new mailbag segment, so I wanted to take a couple of more questions 
from you guys this week. So we are going to mailbag it up. Uh, for time, I'm only going to answer a couple of really quick uh, questions this week. Uh, remember, if you want your question answered, you can email me directly, carl at 1230.media, or post the question in our Making Sunday Happen Facebook group. You can use the hashtag MSH Mailbag. That's Making Sunday Happen. Hashtag MSH Mailbag. We'll see that uh, and we will uh, take it and possibly use it on the show. Uh, so we're going to continue on the topic of volunteers this week to go along with Christine's talk. So question number one uh, comes from Becky Von Volkenberg, uh, which is an awesome name. Uh, Becky's question on Facebook, she asks, How do you shift the volunteer culture, creating an atmosphere of people walking in their gifts and passions excited to serve? How do you do that? Okay, here's my answer. I do think it starts with us. Uh, If we can lead, if we can pastor well and create a culture that's exciting, uh, people are energized by that. Okay, so I'm going to give you eight different things real quick um, that I believe if we focus on these areas and are super intentional about them, it will shift our volunteer culture. Okay, so I'm going to hit on these real quick. Then uh, I know it's a lot to remember, so I'm going to give you a website uh, after this to go to for, for all these notes. Okay, but here's my eight real quick. Number one, pastor first. Okay, we are their pastor first. I don't care if you're media production. I don't care if you're guest services doesn't matter what team you're on, and it doesn't matter what position at the church you hold, whether you are in a leadership role and you're on staff at a church or if you're in a volunteer leadership role. Our number one job is to pastor our people first. But I'm not a pastor. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're a pastor of your people. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, create a clear on-ramp for new volunteers. I talked about this last week. Make sure that you're on-ramp into your team, into your ministry, is absolutely clear and intentional. Three, create a clear organizational chart. Now, I know this sounds petty or, you know, office or corporate, but create an org chart for your team so that people know, okay, here's the leadership structure and here's who I need to report to. Okay, so have a clear org chart. Number four, be intentional about training. Don't just you know, fly by the seat of your pants, have a clear training system in place. Five, have a clear scheduling mechanism in place. Make sure that it's not just everywhere, that sometimes you use Planning Center, sometimes you use this. We don't really know what we're doing on Planning Center. I don't know what to say when I'm on Planning Center. Do I decline? Do I block out dates? What do I do? All right, make all that clear. Have a clear scheduling uh, mechanism or system that you use. Six, teach your team your processes and systems. You have stuff going on up here, but you haven't communicated it to your team, so they don't know what's going on. Okay, so make sure you put everything down on paper, whether that's a handbook or whatever, uh, put it down on paper. Get what's up here out of your mouth to your volunteers. Number seven, create a fun place to serve. Some simple ideas here. Do you have a couch in your hangout area? Do you have? Do you make breakfast on Sunday mornings? Um, I mean, this can be as easily as if you have a counter and you have a waffle maker uh, and you're making waffles one Sunday. Um, this could be uh, 
you know, you have games out for people to play during downtimes. Make your place fun so that people aren't sitting in the back in the dark and on their cell phone. You know, create opportunities for people to have uh, uh, fun and be in a fun environment. Number eight, raise up leaders. You have to multiply yourself and your team. Um, so raise up leaders. Um, and that way, honestly, when you take a vacation, you have leaders in place that can run the show and the whole thing doesn't fall apart when you're gone. That's one reason. Also, give people the serving opportunity. Newsflash, the ministry doesn't need to revolve around you. It needs to be the ministry. Um, And so if you raise up leaders, uh, you can provide that for people. All right, so I know that's a lot to remember, but I fleshed out each one of these areas, and I give you some samples and strategies for each that you might find helpful uh, on a blog post that I wrote. Uh, It's called uh, How to Double Your Volunteers or Eight Things to Double Your Volunteer Team, something like that. You can go to 1230.media forward slash double. That's 1230.media forward slash double. Uh, Again, that's a blog post that I wrote a couple of years ago. Um, that fleshes out all those eight things um, for you. 1230.media forward slash double. Um, Check that out, and I hope it will give you some good handles and ideas on shifting your volunteer culture. So thank you for that question, Becky Von Volkenberg. I just had to say it again. All right, we'll stop uh, there on Mailbag this week just for time. But send in your questions about anything related to uh, making Sunday happen, anything about the worship experience. You can email me or you can hashtag MSHMailbag on Facebook. Next week on the show, I welcome Andy Rushing for the start of a two-part series on lighting for the lens. Andy has been the lighting designer for Grammy Award-winning artists Lauren Daigle and Carrie Job, among others. He also serves on the team at The Belonging in Nashville. I'll talk with Andy via Skype for a few minutes, and then we'll show you his Salt 18 workshop on lighting for the lens. So if you're a lighting person at your church, if you're involved in media or production for the worship experience, Andy's the guy to learn from. Uh, That starts next week. Show notes page for this episode of the podcast As always, are at makingsundayhappen.com. You can see all of our archives right there for you. Everything's absolutely free on the podcast, so check that out, makingsundayhappen.com. And join the Facebook community, facebook.com forward slash makingsundayhappen. Thank you guys for listening and watching this week. Go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.